And welcome to the podcast of TechU, the HR Tech Interview Special. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to talk about, well, HR Tech. Among other topics, we will touch the use of artificial intelligence in the industry, then uh, the ways of how to motivate people to learn new skills, the future of work at large, and much more. This episode is brought to you by Talentsoft, the European leader in cloud-based talent management and learning software. Our founding editor, Robin Wouters, has recently come by the headquarters of Talentsoft in Paris to talk to a very interesting panel, and the panel consisted of the following people. First, Alexander Pachulski, the co-founder and chief product officer at Talentsoft, then Nelly Ferlinden, HR tech specialist and digital content manager at Talentsoft, and then a guest of the panel, Anna Ott, the HR tech expert and consultant at Calibrate. So I would like to run this conversation in full, just just to give you a better view at some of the most important topics in the HR tech industry today. Let's listen together. So hey, this is uh, Robin Wouters for Tech.eu, and I find myself here in Paris at the offices of Talentsoft, which is an incredibly interesting uh, HR tech company uh, born here, uh, but active uh, very globally. Uh, sitting down with uh, Alex, who's one of the co-founders, uh, and sitting down with Nelly, who's a digital HR uh, specialist uh, working for Talentsoft. And we're also on the phone with Anna Ott from Germany. Uh, she's an independent consultant, uh, somewhere in between uh, the, the intersection of HR and tech, and she's going to... Uh, weigh in a little bit on uh, what it's like in Germany and what she sees. Uh, very interesting conversation ahead of us because we are going to talk about HR tech trends for 2020 and beyond. Uh, but maybe just for starters, Alex, do you want to give us sort of a, the lowdown on what Talentsoft is, when it was born, how big it is, which markets you're active in, just the basic facts and figures? Okay, so first, hello, Robin. So, yes, the key figures uh, we have been creating, created in um, 2007. We are now uh, 700 employees around 15 countries. Uh, we operate in more than 130 countries, actually. And we are a talent management platform supporting recruiting, appraisals, uh, talent reviews, salary reviews, culture, and so on. And uh, we now have a community of 2,000 companies, more than 10 million users, with one goal, which is really to reinvent uh, the experience of people at work and help companies to uh, face their future HR and business challenges, actually. Great. Well, that's a good summary. Uh, Nelly, uh, when did you join the company and what's your role? Hi, Robin. Um, I joined the company in 2018 and I um, mainly talk about things like HR trends or the future of work in, um, in some of the countries that we are active in. Great. Well, Alex, uh, interesting space for sure, also quite competitive. Um, so what, what do you think makes Talentsoft di different? Like, What's the DNA of the company that makes you different in this space? What is um, unique, I guess, it's not one thing, one component of Talentsoft. It's a combination of the fact that first we are European and we are evolving in a market where our competitors are mostly American. 
being European means that from day one, our architecture and mindsets were ready to face different regulations, practices, uh, cultures among the countries we operate in. So uh, we can really customize the application in a very sophisticated way without any tech skills. We also have a mission which is different, which is less about uh, only supporting processes and aiming at efficiency, but it's more about focusing on people and trying to prepare them for their next step, leveraging their aspirations, ambitions, uh, who they are more than what they've done by the past. We are focused on the four pillars of the talent management, uh, really about talent acquisition, talent management, learning, uh, co And we are focused only on that. It means that when we look at enterprise software vendors or ERP, they do finance, they do payroll, they do time and attendance. And in a way, they can focus less on this very specific expertise that we got to develop now to really uh, change the way people work, collaborate, and so on. So when you combine this on this very specific focus with being European and having a way also to work which is different, uh, putting co-construction uh, as a key value of Townsoft, it allows to being agile, tackle changes when they occur. And so do we do not pretend that we come with a perfect solution and you just have to plug and play and go because it doesn't exist in our fast-changing environment. We are more claiming that a team has the expertise and the will to adapt to these changes and help the people that uh, put their confidence in us uh, with a very uh, unique tool in terms of pillars that I said. Great. Well, thanks for boiling it down for us. Um, you mentioned the word unique when it comes to Talentsoft, which is uh, great because you also just published a book uh, with the title uh, Unique, uh, which we'll come back to. But thank you for uh, I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. Um, so let's take a little bit of a helicopter view, uh, look at the big picture of what is happening in, in HR tech. Uh, I'm not an expert by any means, so uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing you explain sort of what is going on in this industry and where we're we moving towards. Uh, a lot of this conversation is going to be about data and artificial intelligence, but I'll let you just sort of kick off uh, and say what are some of the, the trends in HR that you, you've observed and how it will affect your choices uh, as a company, as a product uh, and services provider. So first, yes, you mentioned AI. AI uh, almost became a buzzword now because everyone is talking about AI, not necessarily knowing what it exactly deals with. By the uh, way, Alex has a PhD in artificial intelligence, so he knows what he's talking about. Uh, Just going to throw that in there. I try to stay up to date on that matter. We got a different uh, angle of vision, I would say, uh, around this topic. First, because uh, everyone is talking about algorithms and so on. I believe we should do a step back and look at the fact that uh, first, if you do not have uh, proper data, AI uh, will be uh, uh, of no use. Because all the algorithms rely, and that's why it became so trendy in 2012, uh, basically, because you had uh, enough data and the machines were powerful enough to uh, make all the former algorithms successful. And with the rise of the big data, 
all the vendors and all the industries claim that it's okay. Now we got uh, the big data. So if you apply algorithms to this big data, you will have some magic. Like, can we hire profiles that we wouldn't have been able to hire otherwise? Or could it be possible to push the right training content that we wouldn't have pushed otherwise? But the real question is first, are you going to collect data uh, and the data that AI needs to be efficient. And obviously, now the collection uh, in our personal life uh, happens with the GAFA, uh, happens uh, in all these tools we are using on a, on a day-to-day basis, but at work, we are reluctant to provide data because the question is, what my organization is going to do with that? And so why would I provide some data for which use, how, how will I know that it's correctly used, for which benefit can I get back um, and can take back my data, uh, does it belong to me? And all these questions actually are not addressed at all. You got the GDPR, for instance, but GDPR is defensive. It's to protect people. I believe we are going in the wrong di- direction. Uh, the, the good way to follow is more to say, how could people not be protected? But how could people uh, take benefits from all these innovations? Would it be possible that AI helps them uh, in their day-to-day work? And so the idea here is to say, no data, no AI. So how are we going to collect data? And how could we encourage people to proactively feed organizations with their data because they have understood what would be their benefits, how they are going to monitor the way this data is uh, uh, processed. And we had a, an interesting experimentation at Townsoft. We wanted to leverage uh, uh, some uh, data of Microsoft, of the graph, and we have asked for the content, the consent of people. And they, they said, but what do you want to do with this? And we had a long conversation to explain that it was to detect skills that we wouldn't have detected otherwise. And so it's only because they understood the purpose. They understood the way we were about to process this data and they understood what would be the benefits that they gave their consent. And the results have been interesting. But really, uh, what we got to do here is to in a way, give back the data to uh, the people that feed organizations uh, with. And if we do so, there is a future for AI in companies. If Otherwise, AI would be only algorithms with nothing interesting to process. Well, I think um, trust is going to be uh, the key here. Um, you know, people have to be confident to deliver the data and what's going to, uh, what's going to be used for. Um, you mentioned GDPR, but it's also interesting, uh, that in Germany, uh, a lot of this conversation about data protection was already being held before GDPR, uh, was voted in. So, so I'd like to go to Anna for a minute if, uh, you want to weigh in sort of in how in Germany that conversation has been going around data collection, data privacy, data sharing. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, we, kind of have a history with data collection and all those things. And um, there's some voices who even claim that we have kind of invented the GDPR. It is the fact that we have spearheaded that movement and that we're very cautious with this. Um, generally, I would say that um, I totally um, am with Alex on 
that AI in order to work proficiently would be needed to be fed by data. But I'm still a bit on the fence on HR. And you can see that in Germany that we have created an ethics committee for AI in HR specifically to monitor the technology and the advancement in that space and to also figure out where we want to use it. I think that no one is really against it anymore. Um, we had some really lively debates in the past years about this. And this is good. It's good to have debates because I think questions are very valuable in that matter because we don't come with all the answers. We should have a really good solid questions. Yet specifically from my personal perspective in HR, I think that unless we are really able to figure out why we would need the data. So, for example, how can we predict a successful hire or how can we track back successful in and performance in a job? Uh, other than then if we haven't answered those questions, it's really hard to get the right data into the into the algorithms. So my question would be what kind of data is actually helpful and what questions are we answering? Because we know that AI will be able to detect patterns and give us a lot of answers, but I don't think that we are there yet, that we have the right questions that we're going to ask. Great. Well, thanks for weighing in. Uh, we also have the benefit of having Nelly here. Uh, she's been in France for 10 years, but she's originally from the Netherlands. So maybe she can share a few thoughts on how the Netherlands uh, handles these things. Well, I don't think I have a lot to add. I tend to agree with Alex on the fact that, well, of course, when there's no data, there's no AI. And I agree with Anna as well that we need to ask ourselves the right questions because we can gather data on many things. But we, before we start gathering data on anything, we need to know what we're gathering them for and what we want to use them for. I think that's something that's true in the Netherlands as well. Great. I guess we all agree that to feed the AI machine, the, the machine learning algorithms, we need a lot of data, but you need the consent of the people to give it um, to you uh, and what it will be used for. But then once you actually have it, then what, do you, what can you do as an HR tech company? What can you actually do with this data to improve your own products and services, uh, you know, build new features and maybe change features uh, in a sense that, that makes sense for, for companies across industries and across all sizes uh, because I'm guessing one size doesn't fit all. HR actually uh, have, have one challenge in the next decade. <laughs> it's to, in a way, being able to put their confidence in people and in the fact that it's really the people at work that will be able to um, express where they would like to put their energy, in which fields they would like to be developed what kind of challenges they would like to tackle. The goal of HR is to help people at work to identify all that. The problem is that, actually, uh, I'm 45. <laughs> and during my 45, I haven't been that much encouraged to ask questions about myself. What is really my purpose? What kind of mission or activities or goal do I want to follow? At school, I haven't been encouraged to answer these questions. During my studies, neither. And when I've started to work, same thing. So HR should encourage people to answer to this very, very basic but crucial question. Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? How will I be able to fulfill myself? And I believe that AI, weirdly, even if we are talking about tech, could help me to uh, bring answers here. Yeah, because if I accept 
to provide data about me. That's why you got so many applications. How do I sleep? How do I eat? How do I work with the Fitbit, uh, connected watch and internet of things and so on? It's because I would like to know myself better. I would like to understand even what kind of biases do I have that I do not uh, even aware about. And if I try to understand uh, what are my biases and uh, what could be my skills, the ones that I have never really used so far, but could be helpful in the near future for me, but for the organization I'm contributing to, then weirdly tech take a kind of human standpoint. It's not about replacing people, it's about helping them to discover themselves and to know themselves better. And so HR won't benefit directly from AI because their processes will be more efficient or I don't know what. They will work and they will host people within an organization that will be very aligned with themselves Uh, between who they want to be, what they want to do, how they can contribute to organizations, how could they work with others, and if by any chance tech can help in that matter, in a way, it could repair, fix a problem that have lasted so far till today. It's asking people on um, the Monday morning to do things they are not necessarily passionate about. And so after that, you can still try to engage them, to get some commitment and so on. In a way, maybe it's useless. If you just think about this alignment, it will be far more efficient. Question is, once tech will push you some insights, uh, advices or whatever, will we be ready to accept this kind of feedback? Will we be ready to improve ourselves? Will we be confident enough to receive this feedback and say, oh, it's true, uh, this is my weakness, I could work on that? Once again, I do not believe in that because we haven't been prepared in that direction. So it's a kind of new education in a way to, to redo. And since, once again, we are too old in this room to go back to school, it's our could companies help us in that matter. And otherwise, I'm afraid that tech could be useless if people are not prepared to tackle what uh, tech will push. Uh, you've done a great job of describing the, the second trend that you've observed. Uh, I'll boil it down just a little bit. So trend one is basically you need data to feed uh, AI, but you need to, to get that data in a collective way, uh, get the trust, uh, um, get transparency uh, on how that data is going to be used. Once you have that data, you can sort of use it to help people discover themselves as individuals rather than as an employee or whatever you want to call it, uh, which will then eventually help them better understand themselves, how they will fit into teams, into a wider organization, and, and help the company as a, as a collective organization. Uh, Anna, as a sort of a, because I'm, you mentioned biases, I'm also conscious of the fact that you might be biased as uh, you know, the founder of Talent Soft yourself and the solutions that you're building. So I'm going to ask Anna to sort of weigh in on this uh, whole uh, you know, discussion about singularity. Like how do you get people to learn more about themselves? Are they going to be willing to do that? And are they going to be willing to answer those questions uh, to their employer? Um. So I think that this is definitely a major part of the whole equation. If everyone would be more self-reflected, more conscientious about themselves and 
being able to see more about their talent, this would definitely help. On the other hand, though, I'm not really sure if I'm with you on this, that this is the role of HR. It's part of the role of HR, but I also think it's a broader role that everyone has to has to factor in. Um, because even if HR would give me through to all the insights that I need to know more about my strength and, and my skills, would they ultimately be able to give me the right jobs? Would I still be able to work in an environment where I could thrive because of my collaborative skills or whatnot? I think that it's not all, it's, it's an ideal word that you describe, Alex, and I think this is definitely something that we should look forward to and should work on. I'm not really sure if we're there yet because we can't give them all the options and freedom. I still speak to so many companies who can't still figure out if they could allow people to work from home. Um, and with this as a reality, I'm not even sure if we can lay the ground for giving everyone the ideal setup of work. It's more than skills. It's about whether I like my boss, whether I have the flexibility I need, whether I like to work from remote or at on-site and all those things. So there's so many different options within the world of work that just the skills won't solve it. Although, as said, it's a different, it's a very different, um, important part of the whole equation. I think Anna raises uh, an important point there. Uh, Alex, do you want to? What I believe in is that actually uh, first what we what we talk about here is that are we all in the same situation allowing us to raise these questions for most of people at work that do not even have the opportunity to do so and so the role of hr as you said it's to tackle to tackle more pragmatic issues but i believe in two things it's not because, um, in a way, uh, uh, HR have got to focus on more pragmatic issues like working um, from home or this kind of thing, that people do not uh, have all the questions of what is the meaning of my work in mind. The problem is that we are not all equal in terms of means that we can deploy to answer these questions. What I would like here to to do is to say... The next decade, it's going to be uh, quite fast in terms of changes. And suddenly, we could go from uh, working remotely to, can I just keep my job or how am I going to work with an AI a machine? It could be in a five-year term. And so we are in a very weird situation because we haven't solved yet some issues of the 21st century <laughs> as working remotely. Uh, and it's not that easy even with the digital tools in place because it doesn't work that well. And in the same time, we are trying to answer, will there will be jobs for me in the future? And so it's kind of very weird. But I believe we got to tackle all these challenges. So what I say, it's not, it's a layer that comes on top of all the other issues that we haven't necessarily solved so far, but if we do not start to think, and that's why it's a 2020 trend, <laughs> to these questions and questions that could be a little far from certain reality, the moment where we will ask these questions could be too late if we haven't anticipated. And so how could we help all the organizations, all people at work, start thinking and preparing to that, even if their day-to-day life is sometimes very far from these questions. And that's why we got to accompany people even to understand why this question is relevant today and uh, and for you. 
and uh, it, it, it's a hard job to do and I, I agree with you uh, um, it doesn't deal with everyone today and not everyone feels it's the right moment to ask this question well you cannot talk about AI and the future of work without also you know, sort of jumping into the conversation that's going on about will AI actually create a situation where there are not enough jobs and jobs are being replaced at a very rapid pace and society um, may not be able to keep up which might you know, put a lot of pressure on economies uh, worldwide. So this whole discussion of is AI going to eventually uh, replace too many people too fast uh, to be sustainable uh, is sort of uh, touching on the third trend, uh, which Nelly uh, is going to dive in. Yes, which is uh, augmenting people instead of replacing them. So in that regard, there was a really interesting uh, research that's been done this year by a think tank in the Netherlands. And that research followed the uh, findings from the World Economic Forum about the uh, impact of technological developments on employment. And so uh, when we look at, for example, the Netherlands, what it showed was that um, in order to fully leverage the technological developments that are currently taking place, um, over half a million people in the Netherlands need to make a career change in the next 10 years. And um, what's more is that on top of that, there are 4 million people in the Netherlands, and that is half of the workforce, um, that will need to improve their digital skills in order to uh, yeah to get ready for, for these new jobs. Because when we talk about automation, and I think this is a very interesting point, when we talk about automation, we tend to often look at the side where automation is going to cost jobs. And yes, it's obvious that there are going to be jobs that are going to be automated, but at the same time, technological developments are also going to create new jobs. And at the moment, what we're seeing is that um, there are not enough people uh, ready for these new jobs because they don't have the right skills, they're not trained yet. Um, on top of that, we have a very big part of the population that is aging and that is going to retire, the baby boomers, of course, and this was a very large cohort uh, and the cohorts after that, they're with less people. So this creates all kinds of new challenges. And so that means that it's going to become really important for people to uh, reskill and upskill or and or upskill. Uh, and this is, I think, also one of the reasons that we see this growing importance for soft skills that we now see uh, popping up in all kinds of articles and uh, blogs. But just to come back on the previous trend that we were talking about, I think something that's worth mentioning as well is that... Um, when we talk about helping people to discover more about themselves and leveraging AI for that and the role of HR in that, I think what we shouldn't forget as well is that, first of all, that requires that people need to want to learn and people need to want to change and they need to uh, be ready for the fact that pretty much all of our jobs are going to be impacted to one extent or another uh, by technological development. And it's really easy for us here today to be talking about, yes, we need to want to change and we need to learn new skills. But people naturally tend to be a bit reluctant when it comes to change. So I think that is a very important point to mention still that we need to, I think as HR and as organizations, we need to really help people get into that mindset of, okay, I need to continuously learn new things and I will really need to, to, to create this kind of development mindset, if you know what I mean. Bit of a side question there. Uh, do you think governments have a role to play here? Do, do they have a responsibility to sort of educate their citizens that lifelong learning is a good thing, that AI is going to be helpful for augmentation rather than replacement, etc.? Et 
Uh, great question, definitely. I mean, we've, we've talked about this with Alex as well uh, countless times because this is a whole other debate. I think you can start about the role of the educational system um, when it comes to this. You can already start teaching students um, and even students in high schools, of course, um, about uh, the fact that they will, uh, in an ideal world, have to continue to learn for the rest of their lives and that they will always be keep developing themselves. So I think there's a very big role there. There's a role for governments as well, especially when we look at this new, uh, the, these new digital skills. Governments could play a role as well in um, making sure that like the starting conditions for jobs, they are maybe less strict so that things become more flexible. Yes, but I think that's indeed another discussion. Yeah, we're not going to have time to go into that too deeply. But Anna, um, you probably read the same uh, study that, uh, that Nelly mentioned. Um, AI as a tool to enhance people rather than replace jobs. What's your um, additional thoughts on that, if you have any? I definitely believe that we m might need to figure out if we can replace the word change into evolve, because I think that a lot of people, and I worked in corporates, when they hear in the media, do you need to change in order to adapt and all those things, it creates a lot of fear. And it also implies that a lot of things are wrong with the current status quo, which is probably not also true because they're all still at work and why would they be able to change? Yet on the other hand, we know that there, the half-life of skill goes down. There's a great Deloitte study that I can share that um, says that the half-life of skills has gone down to four years. So it means that every four years you need to uh, you need to um, add new skills to your to your toolkit in order to remain employable and relevant and have a career. So we all know that we always need to constantly evolve our careers and skill sets and both of um, soft skills and hard skills. Yet I think that HR specifically in 2020 needs to figure out what kind of skills are actually important and how can we build learning systems where people can learn skills on demand. We have in L&D seen a lot of trainings and workshops and all those things and massive online courses and all those things. And I don't think that a lot of things, these tools were very sustainable in order to reach the right people at the right moment and also, also to create sustainable skill, skills. So I think this is a big trend that I would probably predict that in 2020 we should start figuring out more what kind of skills are future-proof and should be able to, it should be given to what kind of people at what time and how can we make sure that these skills are actually reaching those people and they can put them to use. Person wrote about the flow of work, where learning should happen and all those things. I think we're not really there yet, although we're going to the right direction. Um, but this is a really hard and fuzzy problem to solve. Uh, it's bringing the right skills, as I said, to the right people. Um, and this is hard. Yeah, and I'm guessing the definition of what a future-proof skill uh, is is also going to evolve uh, quite rapidly. So we need to make this exercise pretty much on a continuous basis as well. That's actually doable. They, I've, I've spent time recently with a startup in Germany, uh, HR Forecast. They do that. They do have um, a skill ontology that is weighed between future skills and non-future skills. So they can actually benchmark companies also based upon their hiring efforts, whether they hire for future jobs or whether they try to just maintain the status quo. Um, and what other companies are hiring within their same scope that are probably not even a direct competitor. So I think it's kind of doable. We can still foresee what skills will be needed, but I don't think it's really easy to solve whether, for example, Alex, with the skills that you have in AI, what would be your next best skill now? So knowing what you what we can, can possibly know about you or Nelly, what would be the next skill that you could easily add on to your skill set? Right. So I think these are the questions that AI can also help us solve. And I'm really looking forward to that. Well, that's a great question. I'm going to let them answer. Just before uh, answering this uh, this question, um, 
I believe that we have talked a lot about AI, but uh, what I love in the momentum we are living in right now is that it comes back to very, very pragmatic questions also as do the C-level, do exec teams, CEO and so on, do managers are ready to take risk? Because even if, and uh, a lot of customers told me that, even if one day an AI could push a great insight to someone saying, oh, this is something for you that you've never think about. The question is, will I be ready to accept that? And will my organization, will my manager, will be ready to take risk with me to address a new challenge with new skills I got to develop that I've got maybe no clue about today? Yes or no? And we all know that globally the answer is no. Because at the end of the year, we got to get the numbers, we got to be efficient. And so on the long term, AI is great. It will prepare us to the future. But on the short term, what kind of risk am I ready to take? And even in terms of figures and revenues and so on. And so it comes back to how do I want to govern my organization? How do I want to manage people? How do I want to help them? And I believe that uh, if we do not think about all these organizational, cultural elements, once again, AI could be of no use. So it's really a kind of a holistic transformation where C-level managers, HR, IT, people at work, everyone has got to transform at the same time. And I believe this is what makes this so difficult. And if AI could help me to uh, develop a skill <laughs> where I would be able to really understand better the issues of each people I've mentioned, then it could be more realistic and more pragmatic and we could go faster. The problem is it's extremely difficult to understand the issues of everyone which is so different from one country, one geography to another, one industry to another. So it's a kind of mess. And uh, we can do something with, uh, I believe, a uh, the kind of tool we want to design. Great. Well, just to conclude the conversation on the third uh, trend that we've that you've identified, not me. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking, I'm cheating here a little bit, but I'm taking a look, look at your notes. Uh, it says anti-Netflix in there. What does that mean? Anti-Netflix, basically. So I do. I hope if we sign Netflix one day, they, <laughs> they won't be hurt. But what what, I, what I'm about to say, but. Basically, Netflix, it's more um, driven by the past. Because uh, I have watched this, this, and this TV show, they will push me another one. But it do not predict what I could be interested in, uh, depending on who I am, what are my tests, my tests not on what I've done on their platform. <laughs> but maybe on what I've done on something else and thanks to an AI that could find a pattern and identify something I would have never thought about. Uh, this is what I'm looking for. It's not about what I've done by the past. It's about what I could do in the future. And Netflix, if they just push me Tarantino's movies because I, I've watched one one day, one night, it's more about I am going to push you a Japanese film that... Apparently, I've got nothing to do with the movies you've watched so far. But thanks to a pattern that I've, I've identified as an AI, I can tell that you would love this 
piece of art. And this is what I'm looking for. And it's not Amazon. It's not AI. I didn't so didn't see that uh, today in my uh, personal or professional life. So it's got to be invented. So you got the, your work ahead of you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so we're going to move to uh, HR trend number uh, four, uh, which is that it's no longer going to be HR for the individual developing their skills, um, but more about teams, where you basically focus your, your solutions and your attention as an HR on teams rather than individuals, which is quite interesting to me because I've never thought about uh, HR in that way. Uh, and I'm guessing... Most yeah. companies don't. Yeah, yeah actually, I've been work, working in the HR industry for 20 years and I've never been asked, not once, <laughs> to think about HR processes in a collective way. It's all about hiring key talents, developing key talents, uh, promoting key talents. But actually, we all know that. We were talking about arts. Uh, you can take arts, you can take uh, movies, uh, you can take whatever you want. It's because people are working well one with another that you got a great result at the end. It's not because you had a bunch or some of individual performances. And all the HR industry have been focused on individuals, not on teams, even us, honestly, so far. That's not what was asked to Townsoft. But that's what we want to push now because it's a kind of conclusion of the first three trends is that If you want to develop yourself, if you want to know yourself better, if you want to get some peer-to-peer -peer feedback, if you want uh, to take risk and your manager take risk with you, what it takes is a manager that is more an alchemist <laughs> that will bring people together, you know, like in the movies Ocean's Eleven, everyone with his own talents, but that will think uh, his team will design his team in terms of global efficiency, global fulfillment. With, will this person will work efficiently uh, in a good conditions with this one? Will they want to create a relationships? Will they want to join every Monday to work on the same goal? on the same project, and we all know that you can take the stars, all the stars of the world. If they do not want to work together, nothing good will happen. So HR should focus more on, will this person will fit with this one, and at the end, will it create a kind of magic, an alchemy, that will help them to solve problems, innovate, and so on, on the long term? Or is it a kind of a, one-shot relationships trying to get the figures at the end of the quarter, but they won't work anymore together and you won't have sustainability. And uh, it's a total different angle. And the good news is that tools, the digital tools we got today, they could help us in that manner. This is the moment, but we got to do that because I know that I won't develop myself, I won't develop skills, I won't have the confidence I will need in the future If I'm not working with peers, I want to work with. Yeah, I was just going to say, because you, you make a great analogy to the arts and the creative industries. Um, you can put the best musicians in one band. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to produce Absolutely. great music, right? Um, so I guess it's also the other way around. Like bad performance from teams cannot, you know, it might be individually, they might be all like the key talent and the top talent that you need. 
but they might not have like sort of the, the synergy or the, the harmony in the team that you need to, to produce these results. Um, Nelly, if you don't mind, I'm going to move to Anna uh, first to sort of weigh in on this uh, because I'm sure she has some thoughts of her own. I think that this is so true and it, it is so obvious, but then Alex is also right with his observation that it hasn't been asked. So I've been in, around in HR and while you were saying this, I was thinking 20 years in HR and I, mine, I was never asked that question. I never asked that question as an HR practitioner. So you're dead right with this, with this observation because we know that people leave jobs because of the people. People join companies because of the people. People thrive if they are in a great team. We can see the magic happening. We can we can feel the magic in a room if you if you meet a great team you can you can see that and yet although we know all these things HR is still focusing on the individual um, maybe we should find a way to promote entire teams and not individuals maybe we should reward teams more than just individuals which is sometimes also already done but I'm I think we should also move into hiring teams more and configurating teams better and also through the help of technology matching teams is probably the most difficult part but if we get this right this will unlock so many good things for the individual and also the companies that we we work with so I'm really looking forward to seeing more of those attempts because I think that this is a dead right observation nice well thank you Anna uh, Nelly do you want do you want to weigh in on this uh, the fortech trend before we sort of summarize uh, the whole discussion Sure, yeah, I can only fully agree with Alex and with Anna if I um, look at myself. I I really, I used to work freelance before joining Talentsoft and I swore I would never join a company again until I then came along here and um, I really get um, so much uh, pleasure out of working with the team I'm in here and uh, Alex mentioned already the role of managers as well in trying to find the right mix together with HR and teams and if I look at my own manager which I've already given way too many compliments but um, he is really really good at putting certain people from the team together to get some creativity flowing and to get really good things done so yes I, it's actually quite quite incredible that we haven't paid much more attention to teams so far. I agree. Um, super interesting as an outside observer even. Um, Alex, do you want to sort of summarize uh, the four tech trends that we, well, the HR trends that we can expect in 2020, which you hopefully will play a role in as a company, but just sort of big picture? Really, it's a big picture. It's a very interesting year and basically decade that is about to come because this is a decade where we are distribute responsibilities to the people at work. We understood that AI will uh, really rely on the ability and the will of people to contribute proactively in providing their data or not. That change is in their hands. Uh, they are the ones that can learn and upskill. If they do not want to do so, if they can't do so, no one will be able to do that for them. And the good news is that Companies, it's not because companies are become more and more human <laughs> that they are ready to support this uh, initiative, this learning and upskilling initiative, this uh, uh, reconfiguration, reinvention initiative. It's because they've got no choice. If they want to anticipate uh, and even maybe create disruptions, it only rely on people. So I believe that this is the time and in a way everything is aligned for us to ask ourselves, what do I really want to be? What do I really want to do? Try to uh, tackle all the AI 
fuzz, buzz, uh, and say at the end of the day, this is me doing AI with what I will contribute to. This is me that I've got to benefit from this. And this is me, human resources and maybe human relationships departments should focus on. And I believe that the fourth point about teams, if we could really rename human resources in human relationships, it would tell everything. It would tell the role of human beings within society and companies. It would tell the role of HR, the role of managers. And that would be a perfect summary for the decade to come. Uh, and I believe that, honestly, even if it's going to be complicated, and even if it's going to happen at different paces, depending on geographies, industries, and so on, I believe it will happen because now we got to this is the time, otherwise we won't benefit from that and uh, it will be only defensive. So I, I believe in what will happen in the next decade. Great. Well, Alex, thank you so much for summarizing uh, the discussion on HR Trends. Um, I'm going to repeat that Alex published a book. Uh, it's called Unique, The Future is in Your Hands. So that's a big responsibility right there. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. I'll put it in the show notes as well so people can find it if they want to. Anna, I would like to thank you because uh, as a listener, you don't know this, but she's calling in from her holiday in Morocco. So I would like to thank you very, very much for uh, taking the time uh, to join us today. You're welcome. And I'm always learning. So I've learned a lot about uh, HR today. And I love uh, Alex's euphoria about the future of HR and definitely can understand why Nelly started working for them. So, yeah, this is great. Thanks for interrupting my low brain activities on holiday. <laughs> You're very welcome anytime. Um, but yeah, and also from my side, uh, thank you for inviting me over to Talentsoft to learn more about your solutions and uh, your company culture and uh, the way you think about HR. Uh, and yeah, we're going to wrap up the discussion. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in, uh, dear listeners. And uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you. And that was it for the interview. And this is also it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to us today. And I would love to hear your thoughts and any feedback at all. You can always reach me by email at andri at techieu or on Twitter at adechler. Audio interviewing for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye. Thank you.